Obviously, we saw it um, meeting with the guys just now, and, and I've, I felt like we still had a chance until I saw that F up on the board for final. I, I really did. You know, it's, uh, that, that's how I felt all year, and I, and I thanked them for making that so because that's what you want. You want everybody in the room pulling in the same direction, and that's what we had all year. Did we get to our ultimate goal and, and get in the playoffs? No, and that stinks. But we fought hard as any team I've ever seen. So I'm proud of those guys for that. Now, we have games left, and we're going to go out there and try to win the rest of them. Um, and, and I know that uh, that room uh, feels the same way. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, September the 25th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We are now on Spotify, so if you're a Spotify user, you can get the Talking Mets podcast there. Uh, welcome in, everybody, and uh, a couple of days late on this podcast. I didn't come to you on Sunday and I've been trying to figure out the the best way to handle this final week and last night I was planning on coming on and, and the game went to extra innings and I said, well, if the Mets get eliminated, you're going to get something in the next 24 hours and uh, that was really where I was at. I mean, we knew this was coming. We knew the inevitability of the situation the Mets were in and uh, it came tonight and really tonight, it's the perfect night to be on joining you for this podcast, which is a a podcast with no guests, no features, just me recapping and giving you my thoughts about this wild 2019 season. Because tonight, if you think back to that quote in the movie For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner and Vince Scully's in that movie, how uh, Kevin Costner, who's playing for a second division club, the Detroit Tigers and pitching at Yankee Stadium in his perfect game, Vince Scully describes it as giving you one last day of summer because the game is in late September, the shadows are coming earlier, you get that September sun, it's almost like the, uh, there's always that sadness as you go from August and the summer to September and and a change of seasons and an end of the baseball season, and even if you're going to be in the postseason, sometimes there's that sadness about another year gone by because the times are changing. Baseball's with you every night, whether you have a good team, a championship team, a second division club. If you're a hardcore baseball fan, this team is with you every night. Those announcers are with you every night. You listen to podcasts like this, and and things are going to change. There's going to be a bit of a downtime. And what you got tonight was that one more day of summer of 2019 Mets baseball. You got Jacob deGrom showing you why he's elite, and he's arguably the best pitcher in the game, at the very least, the National League. You got another Pete Alonzo night, where he hit his 51st home run. Uh, You got a Mets win, and you saw this offense that has been so good here in the second half uh, show you what it could do and, and make you think what could be. And then you got a little bit of a taste of 2019, where Jeff McNeil 
breaks his wrist and he will be out for the rest of the season, which is only four games. And hopefully that's not too serious of an injury that will hamper him going forward. It shouldn't be broken bone. Uh, Might want to get himself a wrist protector going forward because he's had a lot of that. But uh, that's where we're at. And I think back as I start out here because I wanted to kind of look real quick at really what went wrong and then take a look at where this team is at And although I want to get into what needs to be done, I'm not going to get too deep into that because that's a larger conversation. That's a larger podcast. Um, But kind of give you an idea of where I think this team is going. So we had the Mets math show. 31 wins, 90 wins. That's what the Mets would need to get to the postseason. And you know what? That was the number. Because if the Mets won 90 games and they hit that uh, 90-win mark... Uh, This would be a different conversation that you and I are having right now. Uh, They did not. And really, the funny and ironic thing, the ironic thing, maybe not the funny thing, is that they did exactly what they needed on the road. They didn't have the toughest road schedule. They had three series. Yeah, they had the Atlanta series. They had the series, that uh, the trip that went to Philadelphia and Washington. But for the most part, it wasn't the most grueling. There was no West Coast trips or anything like that. They went 11-7 and on the road. That's exactly the high-end mark of where I said they, they needed to be. And I even said if they play 500 and go 4-2 and two on one road trip, I'd take that. I would have signed for that in early August. And they did better than that. They, uh, they won all those road trips except they went 3-3 three on, th- three and three on the Atlanta and Kansas City road trip. The real thing that happened was the dominance at home. The team that left the Cleveland series going into the Atlanta series when they were 5-1 and one at home. They had beaten Washington. They had those dramatic wins. They had wiped the, the the street with the Indians, had some dramatic wins on that one too, but shut down a good offensive team, a good American League offensive team. Went only 13-12 and 12 at home. And I thought they played tighter at home after that Cleveland series. Uh, they didn't get the big play. They didn't make the big play. They didn't get the big hit. And you could blame the bullpen, but it, the bullpen was a problem because it was difficult to put a recipe together night in and night out because you didn't have Wilson and Lugo every night, and you had no faith in Familia. You had no faith in Edwin Diaz. Uh, you know, anybody else that you went to. I mean, Brock actually did a – Brad Brock did a good job. It turned out to be a key and a very important piece. And Luis Avion didn't do a bad job either, but – you really didn't know what you were going to get. And, and and when you had an Edwin Diaz and Familia Knight, you know, you hold you held your breath. But I don't think that's why they lost. Other than the Nationals game, that historically bad gut punch loss that they took uh, right after Labor Day, the bullpen really wasn't the issue. They just did not win games. Sometimes it was a, uh, a, a not, not getting the big hit. Maybe the starter didn't give you enough of, of what you needed. Sometimes you get beat, and that happens in this league. And I heard Ryan Zimmerman yesterday during the Nats clubhouse celebration talk about how you got to savor these playoff appearances. And the Nats have had quite a bit of them over the last 10 years because it's really hard to make the playoffs. And I think that's the part that is getting missed on all this. I see a lot of different articles out there. You know, oh, the Mets are satisfied with just meaningful games and things about attendance and the fans not showing up because they're not in and they don't trust this team. And look, some of that's true. That's a lot of a deeper conversation. But I think it remains, the fact remains that this sport, baseball, is one of the hardest, if not the hardest sport to make the playoffs, even with an expanded wild card. 
the amount of things that could go wrong over 162 games. Think about just the uh, National Series in August, which wasn't that long ago, which was about, about six weeks ago. It seems like eons ago. The controversy with Callaway and the reporter and Brody and all the nonsense that went on after the Wrigley Field meltdown on that Sunday afternoon. What was that, late June? That seems like eons ago. It seems like another season ago. The conversations in spring training about whether or not Pete Alonso should make the team, that seems like eons ago. It's a long, it's a long season. So I'm not, I don't think this, this is a situation where the team should be satisfied. I heard Callaway in the postgame tonight. Uh, he talked about how proud he was and these guys fought. And there's going to be people making fun of that kind of thing. Uh, no way, shape, or form do I think anybody in that organization, from ownership all the way down, is satisfied. But does that mean you can't appreciate this season? Does that mean as a fan you can't appreciate this season? Of course not. And if you don't, and if the only thing that you have that makes you happy is zero-sum thinking, which means championship or bust, which is a fabrication by the media that largely started in the 90s after the Yankees went on their run that really ruined this town in a lot of ways. Um, then I feel bad for you because you're going to be disappointed 99, maybe 0.9% of the time because winning championships is hard. Making the playoffs is hard. And you just can't live your fandom. You can't look at teams in that prism and, and be fair to what reality is. Mets second half record. And that's where you have to take, you have to be realistic you can't be satisfied, but you have to uh, 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 look at this from a real macro perspective. From ten thousand, you know, you know, leagues above here, so to speak, they're forty-three and twenty-five. They're playing over six twenty baseball. That's elite winning. And I don't want to hear well they had bad competition. And yeah, they they had bad. They had a bad stretch stretch against the Braves and the Cubs where they lost six in a row. They lost a lot of tight games. That stretch, that six-game stretch, like I told you, I was afraid, threw them probably out of the playoffs. If you even want to go back further, June, when all that nonsense was going on, when they were 10-18, and 18, that's the second year in a row where they had a, a massive June swoon. And they played 62-level Mets baseball, 36% winning percentage. So you can you can go through all that. But the fact remains that this team... After all the nonsense and everything kind of parsed its way through, this team gave you an incredible second half and has tons of positives that we can look towards. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I thought about this. And when we come back, I'm going to get into this. But this team and this group, this innocent climb, I believe, is different than any other time in Mets history and maybe reason to be more excited about the future than in some other points in Mets history. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, more Talking Mets podcast right after this. I think it's the future is bright for us. And it goes back to like some, you know, you're talking about Boston, you're talking about Kansas City, you talk about uh, the Astros, you talk about all this, these teams that have gone this young group and they've, uh, they've gone through these struggles together into then finally like blossoming. I know uh, McNeil's hitting like 330 or whatever, and Pete's hitting 48 home runs. But um, uh, but just to like kind of have this experience, like I've always said, to have this young group exposed 
to you know in the nationals early in the year a huge series where the crowd was just going crazy to have us exposed to that such an early part of the season or such an early part of our career that it's only going to help us um you know kind of get us better in the bright lights or in playoffs or in a big spot situation so i feel like the future is bright with us um, we always talk about it. We always talk about, you know, being in situations, playoff situations. We're always, you know, just, I don't know, we just guy talk, you know. But it's uh, it's been pretty fun, and we know that the future is bright with us. Um, it's just, you know, uh, we just got to keep working at it. All right, we're back, and you heard J.D. Davis on the Steve Gelbs and Wayne Randazzo podcast, Rain Delayed Theater, and his thoughts on this group. And that's a great podcast. I highly recommend it if you're not subscribed to it. And J.D. went on to even talk about in that podcast, not just the experience that this core group of guys uh, is is going through. And at that time, it was in the midst of the Dodgers series. But the opportunity that all these young players felt in spring training and how they felt they could come in here and, and really make this their team. And guys who either were just getting their first opportunity or a guy like J.D. Davis that was on a second opportunity and maybe in his eyes uh, a final chance to earn significant playing time in the big leagues. But when you talk about that innocent climb, that old Pat Riley phrase from his book, The Winner Within, when that a team first comes together, uh, and really the, the best way to describe it is they begin to trust each other and, and, and they really start to believe they could achieve something spectacular. There's mistakes and maybe there's not naivety, but you know some willfulness, some youthful willfulness that, that goes on. Um, and I think you saw a lot of that throughout the second half. And you compare it to other parts of the seasons that the Mets have had this similar thing. And right now, if you want to go up and down this Mets roster, and the core, let's take the pitchers away, because that's a whole separate conversation. But if you look at Alonzo and Rosario, who was spectacular in the field tonight, has hit over 300 in the second half, and is starting to show you, and I've been a critic of Rosario, and I've I've been close to saying, nah, I don't know about this guy. He had a lot of uh, aspects about his game I didn't like, but you know he's about to, if he can play the kind of defense that he started to show over the last few weeks and, and hit, even if he doesn't improve upon this, but stay at this offensive level, that's a pretty valuable player. J.D. Davis, who you know might be as good as Alonzo at times in the second half, hit over 300. Conforto, who frustrates the heck out of people, but is right there, a steady pro in the middle of that lineup and maybe coming into his own where he's going to give you 30 and 100 every year. And I've been saying this for a while. He's no worse than Bryce Harper. He's the Mets version of Bryce Harper without the 13-year deal. And then there's McNeil, that Energizer Bunny who, hey, I like the version of McNeil that hit 350, but the version that had more power in the second half actually was a better offensive player if you broke it all down, maybe he falls somewhere in the middle. And if you could get what really is a guy that if he's going to hit 25 home runs and hit 320, that's the Daniel Murphy that the Mets didn't sign that went to Washington. And he's better defensively and he's versatile. So that's an exciting thought. And let's not forget the guy that's been out most of the year. And I think the debate will be, is he a fourth outfielder or is he a starter? And that's Brandon Nimmo, who's an on-base machine and was a top 25 offensive player last year. And all these guys are young. Alonzo's 24. Rosario's 23. J.D. Davis is 26. Conforto's been around a while. He's 26 years old. McNeil's a little older. He's 27. 
Nimmo's 26. These guys are all in their prime, early prime to prime. And at no other point have you had that kind of offensive core. That's Alonzo, Rosario, Davis, Conforto, McNeil, Nimmo. That's six or seven guys, depending on how you look at it, that you're fielding your everyday lineup. And that's exciting. In 69, you had pitching. And yeah, you had this, you know, the pitching staff with Seaver and Kuzman and Gentry. Uh, and in 84, yeah, you had Strawberry and Dykstra and Kevin Mitchell. But that team, they used a lot of their young players to go out and get Hernandez and Carter. And those were the guys that became the linchpins. The 99 team, the 99-2000 team, those were imports. Those were mercenaries. Those were the Piazza years. Piazza came and took a team of veterans that were acquired and maybe sprinkled with some component players that were homegrown, like a Jay Payton and a Benny Agbayani, and they went to the World Series. The 06 team, that's right in Reyes. The rest of that team was, you know, the Beltran, the Delgado, the stars that they brought in. It was built on right and Reyes, and you know where that went. And then 2015, it was about the young pitchers, and we really have been basing the foundation on those pitchers to date, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you start to look at the game today and the injuries and where you can really feel comfortable with certainty about where you're investing money because it's so important to invest money wisely because every team has a budget now. Having offensive players in that age range with the kind of performance these guys have given, which is elite, which is, you know, every one of those guys can be, in my opinion, considered an all-star. And maybe it's too soon for some of them, like a J.D. Davis who's only done it for less than a year. But every one of those guys has potential and has put up numbers that are all-star type numbers. And I'm not exaggerating. Now, there's going to be pressure on an Alonzo, and there's going to be pressure on a McNeil to repeat. Alonzo's going to have a tremendous amount of pressure next year because he's, he's going to have to repeat a season that he may never have his entire career. His first season may turn out to be historically his best. That doesn't mean he's not going to have good seasons, but it's always hard to sustain that. But you have a group of young players that's sustain, sustainable, affordable, and are showing leadership, maturity for their age. And I love what Mickey Calloway has done in keeping this team together, keeping that room together. But I'll say this, it's a lot easier to do that job when you have good guys like Alonzo and McGrinders like McNeil and and workaholics like J.D. Davis and just a, a, a positive, energetic guy in Brandon Nimmo. And um, you just, you just, you know, you just, it just is easier. So if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't give you hope, if that's not enough for you to still not uh, get off this idea that this team should tear down and rebuild, I don't know what is. Do you realize if that was any other team in any other city that the, the narrative would be different? How much that would be applauded? And you don't have to tear down to get those guys. You have them. They're in their 20s. You know, what, what, do you, what, what do you want? You want them to be 18 years old so that you can wait, you know, six years to, for them to blossom? That's something to be excited about. And that's not being optimistic or settling or not being realistic or being a fanboy or any other nonsense and garbage that gets hurled at me on social media. That's just being real. That's me looking at this thing. And I've been the first to say, and you guys might be thinking of it, well, Mike, you've been preaching about the pitching now for three or four years. Well, that's what you had. And when you have elite pitching, 
Um, you got to leverage that. But if you really look at this year, the elite pitchers, DeGrom, and you got some elite performances from all the other guys, but the other guys are average, league average to slightly above, except for DeGrom, who's elite. And all of those other guys have had periods of very significantly better than average runs. Wheeler, Syndergaard, Matt's at home. You know, Stroman's only been here a short time. But at the end, when you put everything together and it bakes out, they're league average to slightly above league average. And in some cases, in the case of Syndergaard and Matt's below league average. So those guys were inconsistent. Those guys didn't always do what they were supposed to do. So to me, right now, you should be walking away feeling really good. And the best part is, this offense can be elite. So the pitching, which is becoming expensive and becoming confusing and becoming, you know, obviously going to have questions about uh, health, may not need to carry you as much as they did in the past. Because in the second half, this team is averaging 5.15 runs per game, thereabouts. That's elite. That puts them at the top of the National League. Yeah, I get juice ball and all this other stuff. They're still, if you want to go use OPS+, which bases it on the league and a ballpark and all the stuff, it bases it on that year. A 106 OPS+, plus, which the Mets had going into the game yesterday, I believe, is the same. Is It may not be, you know, maybe different than a 106 OPS+, plus in 1988, but in the end, it's still above league average, and a lot of teams are not above league average. And inconsistency sunk these guys. So that's what you should feel good about. A young core, a core that could score, a core that could be a dominant offensive uh, team. And it's here. And it's relatively affordable. And you don't have to go and, and trade for it or sign it. Now you have all sorts of other questions about the bullpen and the starting rotation and depth. And we'll get to that. There'll be plenty of time to talk about that. But you have something here now. Enjoy it and appreciate it. Know that it's it's going to have a lot of pressure on it next year. The innocent climb back in 2015 with that group led to a pennant. And they didn't come back and, and leverage that. And they didn't come back and handle the pressure well. And that fizzled out quick. This innocent climb, let's see what comes of it. Because you have six or seven guys in there that could really make a difference along with a couple of veterans who have been all-stars and one who's a Hall of Famer. That's something to get excited about on February 22nd when these guys come back and report to spring training. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, final segment, Mickey Calloway. What do you think is going to happen with Mickey Calloway? We're going to know soon. There's already some rumors. I'll give you my thoughts about that right after this. We do more than just the big league team here on the Talking Mets podcast. Like when Brooklyn Cyclones play-by-play announcer Keith Rad stopped by and talked to us about 2019 first-round pick, Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty. The one thing that you'll notice about Beatty, about him, it, it was an immediate difference, is that his presence at the plate, he looks like he's been taking swings in the pros for you know, five, ten years, with just waiting for his pitch. It's it's the, the weirdest thing. I mean, he's just got presence. He's not going to chase. He's, he's going to stand in there like he's seen great pitching for his whole his whole life. And great kid, good makeup, great smile. He's got bear claw hands. He's strong as a bull. Um, I remember his first big hit was his first game for us in Aberdeen. Bases are loaded. We're down two. He clears the bases with a double. And I got goosebumps on the call because 
I'm going, this guy is going to do this for the Mets one day, and he's starting here, and oh, it, was, it was great. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final segment. Interesting tweet as I'm on the air here from uh, Tim Healy of Newsday, how Jacob deGrom has really gone out of his way to credit Wilson Ramos. I mean, dominant performance with Ramos behind the plate tonight, unsolicited. That's leadership, another example. And since day one, and I keep, I'm going to repeat myself again until you guys are sick of it. I've been saying DeGrom won me over many years ago. He won me over in that Dodger game uh, back in 2015, and he's done nothing but continue to be the gamer that this staff need, uh, need any staff needs, this staff needs, but any staff needs. And uh, no cartoon characters, no shtick. Just go out there and grind every game out and dominate and pitch and hone the craft like an artist. That's why I love watching great pitchers, because they're like artists. Uh, makes me want to wish I could do that. And uh, just just a little uh, non-sequitur there, a little off-kilter, because I wanted to get to Cal- Callaway um, before we wrap up. So, Mickey Callaway, and uh, that's going to be the next topic. So, when you talk about where we're going to go with this show, we're doing pretty much a post-game reaction to the 2019 season, like just less than an hour after the Mets were eliminated. And normally we come to on a Sunday and we do the whole thing. I go and get the guest and we do a feature and then we do the intro, the outro. So this is a little bit different. This is not quite a, a short, but it's it's not your typical podcast because this is not your typical day of the season. And I know the next time we talk, it's going to either be one or two things. And it's going to come quick. It may come as early as tomorrow. Who knows? I have a feeling we're going to know this weekend. Uh, maybe, And I'd hope Sunday or Monday, because I don't think it's fair to the guy if you're getting rid of him to let it last past that. But you're going to know whether or not Mickey Calloway's coming back. Now, there's already some rumors that the Mets may be looking at the Astros bench coach, Joe Espada. I don't know much about him other than he's part of the Astros organization, and that's a very successful organization, and he's probably gleaned a lot of Good information there. A.J. Hinch has had a lot of success after failing miserably. I mean, think about that. A.J. Hinch was a miserable failure with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and now he's with Houston, and everybody loves him. So before you throw Mickey Calloway to the Wolves, just know, you know, Tito Francona uh, wasn't a genius in Philadelphia. He wasn't a genius until he came and won with Boston. So remember, before you throw guys to the Wolves, know that careers aren't made in short spurts. And here's what I'll say about Mickey Calloway. I don't think he does anything more egregious in game than I've seen other managers. And he hasn't done anything more egregious in game than what I saw over seven years with Terry Collins. It's just reported differently. Terry Collins blew a World Series with bad managing. And people love the guy around here. Media loves the guy. I haven't forgiven him for game four. And I never will. I never will. So what Terry Collins did in Game 4 to date, because Mickey hasn't had as big of a game as Game 4 of the World Series, Terry Collins uh, uh, made a far more egregious move that game. And I think, uh, uh, I'm not going to get into that, and I think that that's, that's clear. He doesn't do well, do work well with the media. I think he uh, he doesn't communicate well, because I think sometimes he's not prepared to rebuttal or to handle any kind of dialogue, any kind of question that borderline 
indicts his players or may go down a controversial route. So sometimes I think he says Pollyannish or goofy things because that's the only thing he really knows how to do to deflect. That doesn't go over well in this in this city. And it really, in the era of social media where everything's recorded, it goes over even worse because you don't just have some print writer who looks down and says, well, I'm going to use this and I'm not going to use that and I'll put this in the paper and I'll use that or the, the clip that gets on whatever, you know, 1010 wins type report that that's where you would hear those kind of things back in the day. Now you, you could see the whole damn press conference. So he doesn't do that well. But what he has done well is he the players, anytime you talk to them, the players like him. And I've spoken to some guys who cover the team, and they 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 feel the man, the uh, owner likes him a lot, that Jeff Wilpon likes him a lot. And if you kept that clubhouse together, and the owner likes you, and the things that you're not good at, I believe you can work on and improve. And it doesn't mean that you're static for the rest of your life. You can get better with the media. I think he was better this year than he was last year. Still wasn't good, but I think he was better. And in-game... I think a lot of that stuff's debatable. I also think when it came to the bullpen, the lack of roles with uh, some of these guys, I think that's a, a residual effect of bad performance and, and directly because of Edwin Diaz and Jerry's Familia. And all the other stuff, I mean, challenges and bunting, I, I, really, I really don't think that a manager could be so bad that they're going to impact the season in a way where you could blame Callaway's in-game management for why they're not making the playoffs. Even great managers like Girardi and Buck Showalter, you know, guys like that got criticized. Girardi got criticized all the time. Our good friend Chuck Johnson, my resident scout that I talked to on Twitter, uh, you know, used to tell me, uh, I'll trade you Girardi for Terry Collins. And I used to laugh at him. I'm like, I, I give me Girardi. I can't stand Collins. That's a guy who's a big Yankee guy. Loves the Yankees. Has scouted in his career. Not anymore, I don't believe, but has scouted in his career. I think he still does a little bit. But um, the point here is this. If you're going to get rid of Mickey Calloway, then you've got to set your sights on a big name. A, a Girardi. A Dusty Baker. A Buck Showalter. I don't know about Joe Madden, but that kind of guy. I would line up all those big names and say, these are the guys... And I'm going to come away with one of them, Mike Sosha. I don't know if all those guys are willing to manage. I think some of those guys are dated. Uh, I, I think Madden's already kind of got his eyes on another gig, probably in California with the Angels or the Padres. If you go to uh, Luis Rojas, who even though he is a good young mind in the system, inexperienced. I know he comes from the Alou family tree, but, you know, Greater men have uh, have failed from greater trees in this game when it comes to managing. Uh, if you go with uh, Joe Espada, uh, who, yeah, he worked for the Yankees. He was a third-base coach, what, an infield coach with the Yankees, you know, assistant to Brian Cashman. He's had some successful runs in those organizations. That does not mean he's going to come here and all of a sudden he's going to do any better than Mickey Calloway. And I'll tell you what, if you're wrong, and if you're Brody Van Wagenen and you're wrong, that's on you. And now you've got a mess on your hands because now the vultures will really circle. And I can't sit back and defend the fact that he takes a manager who may not be perfect, but maybe he can continue to improve and start fresh. Because when you get, like I said earlier, when you have this core and you have this core of players and they're growing together, why not have the manager grow with them? 
And unless you're bringing in a real top-level, you know, ho- I don't want to say Hall of Fame because I don't know if Joe Girardi's a Hall of Fame manager, but an elite manager who's had a lot of success, and especially a guy like Girardi who had success in this town and went through a lot of the same garbage early on in his managerial career that Callaway has. If unless you're going that route and you're guaranteed to get Joe Girardi, who's really the only name that I think makes sense uh, if you're going to get rid of Callaway, um, I just stick with Callaway. That's what I would do. And you don't, and they don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they've had backdoor conversations, but they don't know if they if if they could get Girardi. And I'm not even going to get into the money because that's the other thing you're going to start to hear about budgets and what the Mets can spend and cannot spend. I promise you this. You don't know what the Mets could spend. I don't know what the Mets could spend. And none of the writers know. Because Jeff Wilpon's not telling them and Brody Van Wagenen's not telling them. Nobody knows. All you know is you could go to Cots Contracts or to MLB Trade Rumors and you could see the payroll and the benefits. And by the way... Those not might not be 100% accurate because a lot of that's being cobbled together from information that may or may not be 100% accurate. I'm not saying it's a lie, but it's a, and it's a, good, it's a good ballpark number, but you don't know for sure. And you don't know what their debts are. You don't know what kind of uh, income they're making. You don't know. So I don't want to hear about what they can and can't spend. They've got a lot of commitment to payroll, but again, they've got those guys, those core offensive players that are, are elite in many ways, that are, at, that are together, help put together f- over five runs a game of an offensive core. You don't need to pay those guys as much, so you've got, you've got to jump start on 2020 with that. Manager, to me, I think he's going to come back. That's my prediction right now on September the 25th at 11 o'clock p.m. I think he's coming back. And I'll tell you why. I think they want to have continuity from the second half. I think the owner likes him. And I think that they're going to see the same thing that I see. They're not going to have a guarantee that Girardi's going to take the job. And Girardi comes with some downfalls too. I mean, a young Yankees team was tired of him very quickly. uh, His final year in New York. And I think Brody's going to see that the things that Callaway is not good at, he can work on. And I think Mickey Callaway's self-aware enough to work on it. I think Mickey Calloway doesn't have a big ego. And in a game where many managers and many players and many executives are more concerned about themselves and their aura and their brand and the, you know, Joe Madden likes to be Joe Madden and tell everybody he's Joe Madden and almost become a character of himself. I don't sense that Mickey Calloway is that. Now, I could be wrong, but I have talked to people who are friendly with Calloway, who know Calloway a hell of a lot better than I do, who admit you know, the shortcomings that he may have in-game and with the media. And they still say he's a pretty good guy. And I just predict he'll be back. And I think then the real question after we finalize that, and that'll be a conversation and a debate, because even if he comes back, there's going to be people pissed off and upset. Um, So that might be worthy of our next podcast, because I think that's going to be our next podcast is Mickey Calloway. He's gone, he's staying, and then you move past it and and you go next I think that he's going to be here because they're going to want to continue the momentum of 2019 and build on it and and really almost make 2019 you know an extension into 2020 2021 almost like how 98 became 99 became 2000 
they almost all kind of blend together, those Piazza first three years. I said that to Mike when he came on the show uh, earlier this year. I almost felt like that was one season. It was three seasons, but it was one season that dynamically changed as the characters changed, as the, the, the drama changed, as the standings changed, and what have you. So that's my prediction here on September 25th. But that's my take in really short disappointing season should not be satisfied by the result that's not what this is all about playing meaningful games it's not about moral victories uh, but you should take in and and appreciate the progress the organization has made because I think they're in a better place than they were in 17 and 18 coming out of those seasons and I felt like they underachieved those teams and because of the pitching they could make the right moves to to move forward but I never felt they had a core that I could turn around and say, these guys could be together five or six years. And then it's about improving for next year. And we'll talk more about that. It's about, do you have Syndergaard and Wheeler in the rotation? Or do you pick between the two? Does Lugo move into the rotation? What are you going to do with the bullpen? Hopefully you keep all those core offensive players, but are you going to trade one of them to improve other parts? I don't think so. How do you improve the depth? Because you're going to have injuries, not just with the pitching staff, but you know, positionally, you saw Nimo was out, Cano was out. You know, how do you mitigate some of the downgrade that they saw when we had the replace the Mets? That was the downgrade. That was you know basically below league average. You were getting four A players there for a while that were making up you know three or four ninths of your lineup, and, and that kills you. And, and I think a lot of that is why you you played sixty two Mets level baseball in June. So a lot more to talk about. I'll be here, and I just want to say in, in one last thing. To you guys, it's been a year of change for this podcast. We we changed our affiliation mid-season, and and it's just me now. It's not me as part of a website or a station. You know, for the first time, it's just me. You're coming here because of me, and I just want you to know that I appreciate that. I've appreciated the interaction on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. I've appreciated the kind words. I've appreciated the debate and the negative words because that means you care and you listen. And when I left MetsmerizedOnline.com for a variety of reasons. Um, I didn't know if my brand was ready in this Mets community, in this Mets universe, to survive on its own against SNY and the Seven Line and any other you know barstool product. And you want to know something? I see the numbers. And I'm not going to tell anybody what the numbers are because those are my numbers. Those are my business. But all I could tell you guys is this. The numbers are good enough where you guys continue to make me come back and want to do more and communicate with you. So I'm humbled by it. The fact that you can spend 30 minutes, 60 minutes, sometimes over an hour listening to what I have to say or my interview with a guest, that's humbling. And I appreciate your time. And I respect the fact that you're giving up time. You can't get that back. You could click on a blog post and read it for a minute and a half. That's not a, a big commitment. And you could get out. Here, you have to subscribe, you have to lock in, you're, you're making me part of your commute or your workout or your walk or your hike or whatever, um, and that means a lot, and that's a big commitment, and I take that seriously, and I hope we can continue to grow this show together, do more mailbags, continue to get great guests. I always love to hear from you. I owe some of you guys emails because I know I have some emails I haven't gotten to. It's been a crazy last couple of weeks as we have been going down the stretch. And uh, I just want to thank you guys for a great season. A season that was wacky, was frustrating. Every emotion you can think of, we experienced together this season. 
And now it's over. There'll be some games left to play out. Maybe Pete Alonzo breaks the home run record. We'll see if Jacob deGrom gets some hardware. We'll see what happens with Mickey Calloway. So the plan is the next time we come together, it'll be probably to discuss Mickey Calloway because that's going to be the next big news. And then we're going to probably have some downtime as other teams compete for a championship. And uh, and then we'll be back. So usually I take that little time off the last couple of years because of the general manager search and the managerial search. There hasn't been any Mets downtime even during the postseason. Uh, if Callaway gets fired, we're back to not having downtime. We're back to a managerial search. So it'll be interesting over the next three, four days what comes out of the organization, listening to Brody, listening to... You know, maybe Jeff Wilpon last year at the last day of the season, he made a statement. Be curious to hear what he has to say, what they have to say. And then we'll see where they go because that's where our show will go in the near term. But I'll continue to come to you every week during the offseason. We'll do hot stove. We'll do features. We'll debate mailbags, all sorts of things because that's what I plan on doing. And I continue to appreciate the interaction and your support here at the Talking Mets podcast. Hey, thanks, everybody. We're out of time. Uh, continue to go to TalkingMetsPodcast.com for the latest show. Get me at Mike Silva Media. You get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on Apple Podcast. Greatly appreciate it. And now we're on Spotify, so head over to Spotify if that's where you want to be. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back soon with another Talking Mets podcast. That puts a cap on 2019. See you soon, everybody. For